Blood Brothers Podcast, a Five Pillars Production. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, my dear brothers, sisters, friends, and the foes out there, and welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host, Didi Hussein, and my co-host. Aki Hussein, assalamu alaikum everyone. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind all the avid podcast listeners that you can find this show on all the major audio platforms. And of course, if you're tuning in from YouTube, don't be cheeky and just watch it. Subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel. Today's guest is someone who is well overdue. He was supposed to come on, but he decided to do so many other podcasts before coming on. So I had to give a bit of healthy time uh, before we invited him. He is a dear brother of mine more than anything, a friend, a counsellor, an advisor. And he is also happens to be the global head of risk and sharia at Wahid Invest. And that's none other than my dear brother, Omar Suleiman. Omar, as alaykum. Wa alaykum as Lisa. Honestly, it's an honour. Uh, and I'm very humble to be here. And they say saving the best will last. Come, <laughs> Come on. Come on. It's good to have you on. Take that one. Take that. How are you, my bro? Alhamdulillah, bro. Good. Uh, this episode is going to drop in Ramadan. Even though whilst, whilst we're recording, it's not. Getting ready for Ramadan? Yeah. Much travelling? I know you travel a lot. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, Ramadan, uh, no travelling. But I'm still quite busy. Things going on. You know, there's been the rise of like the uh, iftar events, and because yeah. of the timing now, yeah, yeah. the beginning part of Ramadan is a little bit earlier. In yeah. main summer, everyone was like, allow it's too late. Yeah, yeah. But because a bit earlier, we've got a few like corporate iftar events and stuff. Alhamdulillah. There's so many things I want to talk to you about in this podcast. And I, I'm telling you in advance, if we wanted to, mm. it can go well into the three hour plus. But we are constrained and limited for time. And there's certain priority issues I want to talk to you about. I want to reel off some topical issues related to finance, yeah. investments, uh, the permissibility, impermissibility, the grey areas around certain things which we know Muslims are very much invested in. Affected uh, by, involved in. 100%. Part of their day-to-day kind of plans. And I don't, um, and I also want to make it clear that I've not got you here to give fatwa. Of course. But there's positions that you've adopted yourself. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And you're, I know, mashallah, you have been honoured to being in the company of scholars. Um, so let me start off. Yeah, yeah, let's go for it, bro. Car insurance claims, right? So someone's been in a car accident. I know there's a whole conversation about, I know maybe not so much recently. I know back in the day, in the 90s, when the da was hot, there was this whole conversation <laughs> about car insurance, having a seatbelt on, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're not even going to go into whether the permissibility of having car insurance and stuff because I think we've gone past that now, yeah? Really? As a commu- okay. we, oh, oh, what, is that still a thing then? No, I think it is a thing. Like, my thing is always this, right? I think we live in a time where we know uh, the end uh, fatwa yeah. and we lose connection with the original ruling, mm. okay. which happens a lot. And this is my biggest gripe, is that, so now, car insurance, straight away, yeah, it's permissible. Is it? Is it? Like, no, this is a thing. That's different to saying, are you allowed to use it? Something doesn't become permissible in and of itself. Why I get lifted if I don't have car insurance? <laughs> That's different though, isn't it? You can use it, but is like, I, I'll give you a very simple example. Alcohol in and of itself will always be haram, mm-hmm. right? It's intrinsically haram. Yeah. Um, however, there will be times when you are allowed to drink it. And that's the base ruling. Everyone's comfortable with that. Everyone understands that. Car insurance, if you look at the contract, it has people listening at home remember these terms. Riba, 
which is obviously interest. Something called Maser, which is gambling, and Gharar, which is unnatural uncertainty. The scholars have said because it's a uh, necessity to drive law of the land, etc., and it's from the secondary part of a contract. It's, the asal is that you want to drive a car and the insurance is something that enables you to do it. It's been allowed. However, it's not something you should seek to benefit from or it's something that's encouraged and so on and so forth. There are some scholars who say that insurance is okay, but by and far, insurance is seen as something impermissible. So having car insurance, okay, you can have it, doesn't suddenly mean it's become halal. So... If you understand that, then you've got to understand your engagement with it. And this mm. is the issue that comes. Right. Most people have now thought it's halal and fully halal, isn't it? Mm. Claim from it. Exactly. Get the gaddi fixed. That's right. That's right. So car insurance, right? The the, the ruling is um, you can claim. Tell us a ruling that you've adopted. Or you, that you, yeah. The, the, you can claim what you've paid into insurance over the years. But not okay. more What you can also do Is if you can get your car repaired Rather than getting physical money Is better for you mm. The prohibition is money for money Right If anyone like is listening uh, And they really want to understand Reba, The biggest alarm bell is a money for money contract Okay So if you're giving money And you're receiving back More money This is interest Right This is riba as it's known So you want to avoid that Is all interest Okay, so uh, the Sharia in the Sharia, something is known by its reality, not by its terminology. Okay, right. So it's clear. Just because some, just because something is called interest, may not mean it's riba, okay. and just because something isn't called interest, it can still be riba. Yeah. Okay. Right. Wicked. But yeah, so you know that. So not everything because it says interest will necessarily be riba, but interest, as most people know it, in terms of money and giving back more money, this is riba. I know we're digressing and it's an important one because I knew this was going to happen. If you, if I lent you, if I said, look, you said, Diddy, I need some money, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I have much to give or anything, but if you were to ask me, I said, look, here's a grand. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pay me back in 12 months, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but listen, if you can't pay me back in 12 months um, and I'm going to be out of pocket, um, I'm going to, for a fixed charge, I'm going to charge you 50 pounds a month for every time you're late. Yeah. Yeah. Is that riba? Completely. That so, is that is the essence of riba. Is that is that like the um, perfect example of riba? Yeah, that's because you, interest is made up of two two words, right? Interessa, the period in between, for which a charge was applied, you know, uh, from the Latin. And so this is now the date that I was supposed to give it back to you. I didn't give it back to you in twelve months. So now for the period in between, you're going to charge. Some money Even if it's fixed And Even agreed Even if it's fixed So look, The best way of understanding riba Is Any loan Which brings a benefit Money should never be lent For profit Or any benefit So this means If you said to me Dili right You said Omar give me back A thousand pounds And a chocolate bar That chocolate bar is riba mm -hmm. Right If you said to me Omar give me back A thousand pounds And drop me to the airport I'm flying abroad that taxi ride or that me dropping you off, if it's conditional to the money, is riba. So any favor, any benefit, any unless you're used to doing it beforehand. If you're not, and you think, oh, I've lent him money, so I can now like ask him for this stuff, that becomes riba. Imam Abu Hanifa, they say that he lent someone uh, some money, 
and he was uh, walking with his companions and it was, it was a hot day. And so they wanted to rest in the shade of a tree. He didn't go and sit under that tree. And when his like his companions asked him, they said, why are you not resting? Because I've lent him money. money and I'm benefiting from it. So he didn't want to benefit from it. So that's that riba. Mm. And people have really normalized riba. You know, well, that's gonna be a running theme throughout the entirety of this yeah. podcast. Yeah, right? I think it really needs to be. And um, so, okay, so 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 back to the insurance. Yep. <clears throat> is it better to pay the insurance in one lump payment than installments where there's interest? Yeah. So insurance. I mean, look, the 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 contract pay off. Try and minimize it. And by minimize, it doesn't mean third party. Sometimes it's cheaper to get you know fully comprehensive. Mm. What you want to do is minimize what you're paying towards insurance. And then if you do claim over the years, whatever you've paid, what you don't want to do in any type of financial situation is be the one that benefits from riba. Because look, if you're in a situation where you've had to pay it, right? You still have, maybe inshallah have something to present to Allah, maybe it's under GRS. But benefiting from riba is something that we really want to avoid. So if you're going to claim and you know, you've made some money on it now, you want, you want to avoid that. If you can get a, a garage to fix the car, etc., that's better for you. Mm. Because you don't want to get into a situation where you're getting money back for it. So yeah, you can insure, insure your car. Try and get the cheapest insurance that you can do. Try and avoid benefiting in terms of getting more money from your insurance. Okay. Um, Whiplash. Personal injury claims. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I heard the news. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Travel anxiety. Same thing. Bro, come on. That's like, first of all, like, if it's genuine. Yeah. What do the Islam say about lying? About yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. Genuine personal injury came with this genuine case of whiplash or an injury based from a car accident mm -hmm. where someone's been, you know, hurt or out of work. Compensation for your injury. Compensation. I've heard certain men, they're not scholars, okay, yeah. the whole point is certain man. They said that, yeah, basically, it's like, it's, it's like blood money, isn't it? Like, like you've been compensated for some damage that's, yeah. that's been inflicted upon you. Accident insurance are giving blood money out these days. So, <laughs> if, if it's a situation, may Allah protect us from genuinely having to ever have to, like, you know, need some work done on us okay. because of that. But if you're in a situation where you've had to go and get medical treatment, etc. First of all, is there a genuine cost that's applied to that? Right? How many men's actually getting private? Mm -hmm. I've been through the process. I know it's like they've got some like chacha doctor who. Zubi, you have you signed if you signed anyone off for personal injuries as a physio? No. Okay, mashallah. Right, some random, <laughs> some random hotel. The guy will sit there, talk to me about your problem, right? And you go through it, and you know he's like, okay. So what happened? Yeah, bit of pain, bit yeah, stiff. Yeah. Okay, cool. And they fill it out, right? So in the US they call them ambulance chasers, isn't it? Here, bro, avoid if it's genuine. Then there's a case and in a case by case basis, I think you need to go and speak. If, if for example, there's been a loss of earnings and so on and so forth, there's a case, maybe you can go and get a fatwa for it. But as a general blanket thing, we shouldn't be claiming like personal injury like that. How many of these are actually to this state that actually they need help that they couldn't get? There's a local brother who we know, he was in a very serious car crash. Yeah. This is a genuine case, a yeah. serious car crash. He is in a wheelchair I will probably be in a wheelchair for the rest of his remaining life yeah he took a six-figure payout yeah could there be a basis there could there be a basis there yeah could. of course so of course. is that okay this, yeah he this, lost the ability to walk 
Yeah, look, a lot of these things, there's a case-by-case basis and you look at it. The, the problem is, is Islam and, and rulings generally, you got to look at individual situations. The Sharia has a ruling. When something becomes like in society yeah, on a general. community level, a general ruling, then you've got to re-look at it, you know. Uh, and, and this is unfortunately, I don't know if we're going to cover this, but the problem with Islamic finance and the why it's abused today mm. because things have become acceptable on a community level that were never acceptable previously. Yeah. Look, look. On, on the subject of personal injury claims and people have suffered injuries from car accidents or work-related accidents or whatever else, I've treated people who have suffered road traffic accidents and injuries at the workplace, and it's very clear <laughs> those that haven't or are not no longer suffering from that injury, from the index accident. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those that have. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it it, it it's it's even a dilemma. It's even an ethical dilemma, professional dilemma when you're there as the healthcare professional for treating the person because you can quite quickly assess if a person is suffering from an injury that is proportionate to the rest of the process they're going through. Um, but then you will, yeah, of course, you'll find people who have suffered that ridiculous injuries. If they have, then look, seriously, they need help. And that's yeah. not an issue. I think the other thing for people to realise, uh, guys, right, is this, that there's no way that you can benefit from any type of transaction uh, and if it's unjust that someone else hasn't had oppression committed on them, if you're benefiting in a way that you shouldn't benefit, then it's only at the expense of other people who are being oppressed in some way. Now, I'll explain this. For example, someone claims from insurance that they shouldn't do. What happens? Everyone else's premiums go up. Mm-hmm. This is why, how, how expensive it is it to insure your car up north? Yeah, in certain open areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you, yeah. You, Certain postcodes, you can't do it. Yeah. So these people Luton, are claiming. East London, Bradford, course, Birmingham. 100%. Greater Manchester, certain areas. So they've got payout. Everyone else that shouldn't have to pay more, they're now having to pay more. You've oppressed them financially. You've taken their huck. That money, but, but you don't see it like that. They're looking at their own individual fight the individual benefit. Mm. But other people, and this is what happens with loads of like investments or people benefiting from other types of transactions. You think, well, it's all right for me, this kind of nafsis type approach. No, think about what it's doing to the system. And actually, if people are paying more now, it then you've oppressed them. System, yeah. It is, it's an injustice, mm. isn't it? So you've oppressed them. To the extent where people have to now start giving different addresses because of the high, high insurance. 100%. And saying that they've got garages and yeah, when yeah. they don't. <laughs> saying that they're vets. <laughs> yeah. Um, another anecdotal example. Uh, Diddy. Me and you, Diddy, there's there's a car that I've seen. Uh, It's a nice car. Uh, Buy it for me, please. It's 10 grand. Tika Omar, I bought the car for you. Here's your car. Uh, Pay me back every month. Yeah. Actually, first of all, can you put a down payment down? Have you got anything on you? So so you'll contribute two grand. So I'll cover the eight. Then the monthly payments start again. With a bit of a satin extra on the top, fixed and agreed. Is that a bar? Now, so we're talking about car financing, right. basically. Were you going to buy the car anyway, or did you only buy the car because of me? I only bought the car for you. Right. So buying the car, whether it's a car, whether it's a motorbike, whether it was a camera is irrelevant. In fact, I exist just to buy things for you, Amal. Right. Then that's really about because what you've done is use your money to contractually guarantee yourself more money. Right. The underlying commodity is irrelevant. You've used your money, mm-hmm. right? And you're making sure in, in a contract nature that you're going to get more money from me. Guaranteed the amount. So 
let's be honest, you could have just given me the money and I buy the car. But you buy the car because it's put, wrapped around like that. And then you're securing your loan to me against the car. And I pay you in installments. This is different though, right? If you sell cars, if you own the car and you sell the car, you can charge me more to pay in installments. That's completely allowed. Oh, okay. So tell me how car finance would be work in a permissible way and an impermissible. So if I went to see, if I went to a Mercedes showroom, yep. it's the difference between if someone's a lender and if someone owns the property. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so first of all, if someone so if someone is in the business of something and they own goods, so a shopkeeper, car showroom, just the same way you can negotiate with them to give you a discount if you pay it right now, they can charge you more if you pay in installments over a year or two years or three years. There's no issue with that because look, there's a psychology to this. Their business isn't money. Their business is the cars. cars. Yep. And they have the risk of the car. They own the car. They would, you know, they want to go out and buy cars. They want more money now so they can buy more cars. They're not trying to make money from money, right? But they they can charge you more because they're going to have capital tied up, which stops them buying more cars. But that really happens these days. Omar. They'll, they'll just direct you to Close Brothers or Boltanova. Yeah. And, and these guys so this exist. is how Can't we need to understand companies. it, yeah, yeah. right? So when we look at, so if we look at someone who owns the car, so Toyota, Toyota have a finance company called Toyota Finance. Okay. Toyota Finance is 100% owned by Toyota Car Company. So if you're getting finance for a Toyota from Toyota Finance, then this is okay. It's the same thing. It's like putting money from one pocket into the other pocket because mm. it's completely owned by Toyota Finance. And they, even if they say that they're going to charge 3% or 5%, it's not an issue because they're just allowing you to pay in installments and it's fixed. That's okay. So any car company that provides the financing themselves and just for um, any listeners and viewers, you have to ensure that even, for example, Toyota Finance, I know I've checked is 100% owned by Toyota Finance. Other uh, car finance companies aren't necessarily 100% owned by the parent company. So you've got to check, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got to check it each time. If it's 100% owned, then it's no issue. You can get financing from but them. But Close Brothers, Barclays problem, yeah? Uh, they are, unless you're getting PCP. Oh, okay, Tika. Personal contract plans. So if you look at the main ways of financing. With the balloon payment at the end. Yeah. So HP, higher purchase or PCP. Higher purchase normally what will happen, like the example you gave, a yep. uh, third party comes in, they will finance the car and you pay them back. And over a five-year period, you will pay back the entire value of the car. And at the end of the five-year five, five period, for example, you own the car, right? You've paid them for that. With PCP, you effectively lease the car. Mm -hmm. Say it's a four-year term. You lease the car for four years. And then this is the important bit. You have the option of either returning the car or, pay or paying a balloon payment. And that is a completely separate independent transaction, which is why in the first four years, you don't own the car, right? You don't own the car. Mm -hmm. You're renting it. You're renting it from them. And it's because of this fact that you can give the car back that makes it permissible. But HP can give the car back if you can't keep up with the payments. But they'll contractually, the yeah, they'll take the part. Contractually, you're still obliged to pay them, right? Yes, 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 yes. They, okay. it's, 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 they, they've got to make that decision. Do we give it back or not? You've signed up at the beginning, at the outset, to that entire contract. Yeah, to buy the car. Whereas PCP, you haven't. PCP, you haven't uh, agreed. They'll say at the end of the four years, your choice. You can give the car back or you pay the balloon payment. What about the brothers who are car traders who are facilitating the options? 
to to uh, pay for buy the car this way, buy the car this way, that way. Meaning, meaning they have existing agreements with Motonova, uh, Close Brothers, Barclays, finance providers, yeah. finance providers. So look, this is a, this is a difficult because uh, these are people's livelihoods at the end of the day. Yeah. They should try and push and promote for people to purchase the cars uh, upfront or purchase in a manner that's permissible. Normally, if they got third party financing and if they're going to get any benefit from that, effectively, they're benefiting from someone getting riba. Mm -hmm. So they should look at the contracts that they have and see, is it possible for them to have permissible contracts? Why, why if there's, why if, the, I mean, I know previous, I don't know if it works now, I, I knew there were times where they could get commission. So that, so the, the higher the APR, they would get commission for it. What about those who don't have any commission? So the only benefit that they get is that they've got a customer who'll buy the car. And they'll facilitate that finance. Yeah. So it's better, I would say to them, don't facilitate it. If someone uh, arranges it themselves privately and then comes to buy their car, they're still removed from it. Look, if you... Oh, get them to arrange it with their own banks. Yeah. So at least you're free of it. Yeah. Because look, at the end of the day, if you're still in some way joining in someone, engaging in riba, then the ayah of the Quran where Allah says that him and the Prophet وسلم, are at war with those who deal in riba. Why would you want to be part of that? You know, like, would you want, so someone's got a, an alcohol business. Would you want to be the guy that delivers his alcohol? Would you be the one that says, listen, go there and you can buy some alcohol from there. Someone comes to you and says, listen, I'd really fancy, uh, uh, you know, a Carlsberg yeah, or something. Yeah. You're going to say, oh, this pub's really good. Yeah, yeah. Go to this pub and that pub's paying you for it. Mm. No, of course not. That's, it's, it's exactly the same. I understand for some businesses that they're in these contracts, etc. But they really need to understand, look, their money's from the car. Allah will bless them in their risk, right? Sure. Don't, if you can avoid it, don't get into something where you're facilitating istahawan in something that's evil. So you want to avoid that as much as possible. Forex. Problem? When you say forex, do you mean forex trading or just exchanging? Okay, so if I went and bought before we move to forex, can we deal with homes? Homes is right at the end. You think I'm gonna let? Oh, 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 I thought you followed that. Thing. Nah, no, homes is like yeah. uh, our speciality. Come on, let's carry on forex. Oh, oh, left, look, who's there? Conventional mortgage, Al Rayyan, Hanafi position, Darul Harb. It's all there, bro. Don't worry. Um, uh, right today. Yeah. So, look, so forex. Um, no, not that I've bought some hard currency, sold it at a profit, at loss, like actual go to a travel exchange. No. Um, yeah, yeah. Exchange and forex. Yeah, because that, yeah. that's okay, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. No problem. Cash for cash. Yeah, like I've bought some taka or some rupees or some euros right. or something. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm talking about forex trading. Forex trading. So I follow the uh, view of Muti Taki Uthmani, who is one of the most senior Hanafi jurists in the world today. Allah, I mean. And he is one of the most senior figures in Islamic finance in the world today. In fact, he's considered the main proponent of kickstarting Islamic finance as we have today. His sure. view is that you shouldn't do forex trading because it's the commoditization of money. Right. In Islam, money was only something that was there to facilitate exchange. Right. And this is something that's wider than Islam, even. Even philosophers say that money intrinsically is sterile. Money shouldn't be used to make more money. Aristotle had this position. Thomas Aquinas had this position that money should never be used to make more money for yourself because it's fundamentally unjust when you, for an interest based transaction, is basically. 
you selling nothing for something, mm. right? And you're making money from it. And this is something even all of, can I use the term Abrahamic? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the correct context because yeah, yeah. in the Abrahamic there's a lot of Abrahamic <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. right so within Christianity and Judaism and obviously they've you know changed the rules on this mm-hmm. so uh, interest is uh, is fundamentally unjust but if you look at the philosophy of it actually it's making money from money without any underlying economic activity you're not creating anything positive in society so now when you look at forex trading your ability to trade is based on just you having money. You're not creating any net service or any assets. It's literally you got money in your account. And you can actually damage real economies. You can damage real economies. I remember a few years ago, I mean, Turkey's in a precarious situation at the moment, but a few years ago, just after there was a terrorist incident in Istanbul, mm. he was saying, oh, the, Turkey, the Lira's drop. Um, I remember on groups, brothers were saying, let's buy loads of it, let's buy loads of it, and then, you know, we'll trade it, we're going to make money. Right. Guys, like subhanAllah, like that's gonna help Turkey, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you know, we don't think of it. Just making money from money, you don't do it. And these forex traders that are out there selling it as a lifestyle, um, and involved in a lot of the forex trading is also borrowing money to do it, mm. right? That you don't have and you gotta pay Flipping back. cash. Of course. Yeah. You know, and they just sit there just making money from money. So don't do it. Um, connected to this, I would say, you know, one thing you were saying is that look, if you're traveling somewhere, you you exchange money, that's fine. Something else, where Forex trading, not trading, but actually hedging or taking a position where you purchase uh, lots of a currency is okay, is when it's secondary uh, to your business. So I know brother, mashallah, they produce uh, modest, modest wear. So they have garments that are made in Turkey and Pakistan. Because of the currency fluctuations, he has to pre-book and purchase currency. Of course. But you see, his interest isn't in making money from the money. It's through his, it's through his primary it's business. Planning for his business, yeah. Real business, yeah. where money is flowing through society. Real business, you know. Actually, you see there's some benefit in it. Mm. Rather than you're just like making money and you're doing nothing for society. Rather, you're doing the opposite. Again, it's that understanding. If you're benefiting in some way without any real exchange or real activity, it's only because somebody else has been oppressed in some way. Uh, before we move on, so 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 human to human late payment fee that's riba, yeah. Yeah. So like so like if 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 you're kind of if a landlord says to someone said look, you're taking a biscuit. Yeah. You you've missed this month's payment. I'm telling you, like you need to be paying me this on top, and the guy agrees. Yeah. It's, okay. It's riba. Um, stocks and shares. Stocks and shares. Okay, so is that boiled down to the types of stocks and shares that you're buying into? So there could be permissible stocks and shares. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely, okay. this is important. So in and of itself, it's not impermissible. No, no, no. Stocks and shares is just a representation of value for of a company. Okay. Stocks and shares can be permissible or impermissible. When right? can it be impermissible? Uh, when the underlying activity of the company is impermissible. Mm-hmm. So the gambling, of alcohol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The things that we aren't allowed to do, we're not allowed to benefit sure. financially from as well, which makes sense, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Right. So uh, the company's underlying activity has to be permissible. There are some other rules that have been applied um, by, I'd say, in the Islamic finance world. There's a uh, an organization at Bahrain called IOFI. Okay. This is like the uh, the accounting and auditing organization of Islamic finance institutions made up of a number of scholars globally based on Bahrain. And they've looked at different things and said, look, here are some rules that you can apply 
to uh, investing. Stocks and shares, they've, they've given certain rules. Quick thing, Omar. Yeah. You know these big boy foundations and yeah, organizations, yeah, yeah. and do they advise their own governments on, uh, <laughs> on the interest-based loans that they take from the Americans and the World Bank and IMFs and stuff like this? I highly doubt it. Okay. Uh, okay, I, just yeah. I was just curious. I, I highly doubt it. Uh, there is obviously there's obviously a, a plausible risk they could end up in dungeons as well. Of course, I Com- completely, completely. There's one one country in the world, yeah. right, which is known for its religiosity, or it was known for its religiosity, yeah. and you won't have any banks which are uh, marketed as Sharia compliant mm. because if these are marketed as Sharia compliant, it means by default the others aren't, yeah. and they don't want that to be said. Okay. So you won't find it in a certain country and I'll tell you off camera who they that's, are. That's <laughs> but so, yeah. Okay. Back to stocks and shares. Stocks and shares. So underlying activity of the company has to be permissible. So for example, Apple, if you look at, uh, just use Apple as an example, sure. what they're doing, the, the contentious issues may be something like iTunes or mm. Apple TV, but generally in terms of what they do is permissible activity. Microsoft is a nice clean one, right? Okay. So underlying activity. Tesla? Tesla, yeah, yeah. Cars. Yeah, yeah, underlying activity is permissible. Now, other than the activity, other things that uh, that would deem something permissible to buy or not is how much debt they have. Okay. So this uh, board of scholars, that's what IOFI were based at Bahrain, and this kind of ijma amongst the various scholars that they have, is that if a company has more than a third or 30%, it varies, debt, right, to either market capitalization or debts to assets, you can't invest in them. This is a bit of a controversial ratio because that debt could be interest-bearing debt, mm. right? But they say if it's got more than 30, 30% or 33% debt, you you cannot invest in them. It's, if it's less than that, you can invest in them, right? Because this is the prohibition of buying and selling debt and also for company stability. Right. So that's a financial ratio. The last one... How did they work that ratio? How did, why did they work out it was a third? Okay, so this yeah. is actually based on, if, if you link it back, to uh, hadith on uh, inheritance, okay. where somebody came to the Prophet and said that we, uh, I want to leave a third of my estate in charity, and the Prophet said, and that is a great amount. Okay. Literally, that word that that is significant or that is a great amount was used as a basis for thirty three percent in 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 applying into these companies. Yeah, uh, the last one is um, there's something called the five percent rule, which is that a company today, most companies. Even if their underlying activity is permissible, they may still have some income from impermissible activities, mm. right? So, um, if that goes above five percent, you can't invest in that company. If it's below five percent, you can invest in the company, but you have to give that equivalent percentage from your own income uh, that you've earned from that company in charity without expecting any reward. So, a very simple example would be, um, let's just say Tesco, mm. right? Say Tesco, say the income that they make from alcohol and pork-based products, etc., was 3%. And you have Tesco shares, everything else being okay. Then whatever you earned in terms of dividends, then 3% of it you give to charity. Without any expectation. Without any expectation of reward. Okay. Now, this is something, again, keep on reminding, the prohibition of riba, that Allah is pure, and he only accepts what's pure, right? And he only accepts what's pure. And this money that was from impure activities historically was used to fund like public toilets, right? So wow. impure money, yeah, because it's something seen as disgusting. You don't want it. Serious for Islamic history, that's what that's what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, public toilets and things like that because it's something dirty. Yeah, you wouldn't use to start building homes and schools and which is now 
we've kind of flipped and we think, oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. We can use this money for anything. And it comes back to a point that we've lost our connection with the base ruling. We've lost our connection, with the base understanding of these things because we're just living in a time where we just, you know, it's ease. Everything's what, fair game. What, what, about, what about those who say that, you know, there's a hadith that the, 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 the dust or the, the yeah. dust of riba will touch us all and we're living at this time. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Does that mean that you don't try and protect yourself from it? Well, you start seeking a dusty area. Just, exactly. Just, start <laughs> just bathing yourself in the dust, just get open in the vacuum. We live in the West, bro. And if you walk through central London in summer, right, yeah. you're going to see things and we are surrounded by haram. Yeah. Does that mean you open your eyes? Yeah. You try and still close your eyes course, as much as possible, isn't it? Yeah, so That's the reality of where we are, isn't it? 100%. Yeah. NFTs. Yeah. Them cartoon things. Yeah. I really don't. I really cartoon. don't understand NFTs. I don't. Understand. I don't have a clue. People. I see lots of monkeys with cigars and sunglasses, and apparently. I'm not sure if Khabib has one. And apparently, they've I'm, I'm, got money. I'm not sure if Khabib has one, but Hasbullah has an, an NFT. NFT. Yeah. yeah. So like these little Hamza Chimaev has it. It's like these little cartoon things, and then. You, and you see, <laughs> I can't even describe. It's, it's a graphic. Yeah. It's, a, it's graphic. a graphic. They say it's a non-fungible token, which means it can't be copied. Which yeah. is absolute bequas because you can digitally just copy it and print it out That's or reproduce thought. it. Okay. Right. So look, any exchange that you do, Islamically, any transaction, guys, remember this, yeah? There's got to be an exchange of value. Okay. Right. You're giving something for something. If you're giving money, you've got to receive something back in return for it. Now, when someone is giving you something of such high value, you've got to ask, is it a piece of art that gives it its uniqueness? That will make it like, you know, either the artist has done it. I just want you to see something. You don't, you don't have to read it out. Just, just, just read something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, bro. Okay. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, like, it's, 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 it's like a mad picture of someone or something. Yeah, and they're saying, what they say is that, oh, because it's unique and the code that's given, this is what gives it its value. Yeah. yeah. But, but that's not the issue, you see. It's then people pumping money into it. People, like, trying to trade it. Right? Something that, by itself, it can't be haram. Right, this issue, NFT can't be haram, right? Unless it's a digital image of something naughty. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. It can't be haram. So this is, however, the way people interact with it will make it impermissible. So buying and selling. So when you're exchanging something, what have you given that person for the money that you're taking from them? But surely anything is what a PDF file. Surely the price of a tangerine is what the people of that given society have given its intrinsic value to, whether it's 50p or 10 pounds. Of course. So why can the same thing not be applied to a, a an online graphic? If the person's happy to part with their money for it. Even if they're happy to part with their money for it, we've got to look at... No, I'm not talking about the happy, I'm talking about the, the value yeah. that we give things. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the difference between someone pricing a, a Hasbullah NFT at 1 million pounds? Yep. And then someone pricing a tangerine or, or an orange for £10. Yep. And, and they want to sell it for £10. And someone will buy it for £10. Now, take the role of uh, the scholar. Yeah. If people are now telling everyone that these tangerines, are, you should pay £1,000 for them each, right? And it becomes widespread. And people get caught up in a frenzy where they're buying and selling tangerines, right? And they're losing money. And there's someone who's benefiting from it. Mm. Then the Sharia will intervene to protect society and the community Because if you look at the higher aims of the, the, of the Sharia The maqasid of the Sharia mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of them is the preservation of wealth Absolutely. Right. So in, in individual situations and circumstances Maybe someone's produced something So for example the very first tweet that was ever sent 
right? The very first tweet that was ever sent, I think it's, it's they've said that oh, it's on a blockchain and you can get an NFT of it. Huh. But what have you exchanged? Is it genuinely that, or is it like a printout of you know the person? And they will say there's a code behind it. You can pay what you want. Anyone can pay what they want for something, unless it's something which is uh, needed for society. That's like water, you know, um, staple foods, etc. Mm -hmm. You can have that's an open market, and Islam is very fair like that. Islam has a Islam doesn't stop anyone from making money, right? But it still protects people in society. So. If people are buying and selling and there's nothing of when you're left holding the NFT, what can you do with it? It's got no you no utility, no user fruct. Do you think you're, you're gonna keep it until you sell it? Yeah. To some, the some only other way you're gonna benefit person. from it is by taking money from someone else. Right? And this is what happens with a lot of crypto as well. The old pump and dump, right? I know that means something else in Bedford. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right? With crypto, people are you know, buying, but basically they're setting up a coin, right? They'll get all of their mates to put money into it. Price will jump up and then they sell it. Yeah, but those are like, those are, those are ICOs, innit? Not just ICOs, all, those like, are, the those number are, those, of coins that go those out. Those are ICOs and smaller altcoins. Yeah. What about the king himself? What about Bitcoin, the king? Bitcoin, my view on Bitcoin, I think that if you see it as a genuine alternative to the financial system, it's something which is good. Uh, it's something if you buying it to hold it, if you're buying it's it because real. you're trying to push it as a real form of exchanging currency. Yes, my issue is never that with Bitcoin. It can't be haram. The issue is those people who just trade it to make money from it. You either consider Bitcoin uh, currency. And so remember our ruling on Forex mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that applies or you consider it a digital asset. And if you consider a digital asset, then you hold it. Then the rule of trading applies which is if you're buying and selling, do you actually have ownership of it? Have you exchanged it? Right. And what is it doing to the price? Because then the fluctuation isn't based on its actual core ability, but just people buying and selling. And then it becomes akin to gambling. Okay. No, okay. 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 Listen, listen, listen. Let's, let's, let's quickly. All right. All right. Let's, let's quickly lock off. So, so, so NFTs out of the way. We'll get into the house in a bit. Yeah. Bitcoin's come down to 10,000 pounds. I've bought one Bitcoin for ten thousand pounds. Yeah. I've bought it with the intention that you know, inshallah, if it goes up, I'll I'll sell it. I'll make a couple of bags off it. Yep. Is that problematic? I don't find that problematic. If you're buying to hold it. Yep. I'm like hodl, hodl until you have to sell, but you can get hodl and you can get cluttered as well. Yeah, yeah. But you you've bought it as an asset, which with a blockchain code, which I know you have. You have an issue with the blockchain no, code? Blockchain's fine. Blockchain's okay. fine. No issues. Where you can no. see the actual code itself. Yeah, yeah that's not an issue. And I've bought this Bitcoin because I want to sell it for a profit at a given time. That could be a year. Yeah. That could be five years. I could even I could save it for my children or anything. So when does it become haram? Are you talking about, are you talking about the day trading of Bitcoin? Yes. Acha. Yeah. Scalping and all right. that stuff. Yeah. So think of it like this, yeah. Say, you know, someone loves horses. Mm. They buy horses, they like to make them run. Mm. No issue. Someone else sees that, they say, listen, I'm going to place a bet on one of those horses. The guy who's raising the horse is no issue with it, right? But someone else then starts placing bets mm. on the horses. Then lots of people start coming. Then people start filming it. You see, there's a whole industry that That's surrounds it. it. That's it's impermissible. It's a completely different thing now. Of course. To the guy who's raised the horse, breeded the dogs, fed exactly. it, trained it. The next man's come along. Now you've got a gambling system around it. Exactly. And I know that you know a little bit about crypto, totally. Yeah. Is this not the case with the majority of crypto, if not all of it? 
that yes. a lot of people are just trading it. Of course, yes. like they're just trying to make quick buck, yes. gambling. Yes. Most people, like you ask them, the vast majority, the vast majority are not buying to huddle for a long term. Yeah. And then they pull the hair out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and they don't even know the white papers. They don't, they don't know what a white paper is. Yeah. No, right. And these people they, are. They don't, know the, they don't even know where the map certificate is. Yeah, exactly. They're just on signal groups. They're just on signal groups, just following next man's lead, getting clotted. And that's yeah, what it is. Going to Binance now. Yeah, completely. And again, look, this is, you know, finance, right? Anything to find, it comes under mu'amalat. And generally, yeah. mu'amalat, everything is, is permissible unless it's stipulated it's impermissible, right? And so there's lots of flexibility in this, right? I think it's good for people to understand there's lots of flexibility. But. You know, two people can do the same thing and for one person it's permissible and for the other person it's impermissible. Doing exactly the same thing mm. because their position and their intention behind it is completely different. So even if someone knows what they're doing and there are some very, very smart people out there, mashallah, and I've spoken to them where they're looking at the, the, what they're looking at, the numbers, they're looking at lots of different data sets. Forecasting. Forecasting. And then they're, Making a yes, so educated so, choice. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. So whenever I have invested in Bitcoin, I've assessed what's oh, going you on. Bitcoin, I didn't know. Yeah, I've, assessed, <laughs> I've, I've, I've assessed the market because a lot of it, sadly, is influenced on news, negative news, positive news, um, big companies validating its usage, various, various things. Yeah, yeah. It, it, sometimes it's linked to the internet, the, the global markets as well. Sometimes it goes against the global markets. But I have somewhat of a well-read research decision has to feel that it's going to come down and if it comes down i think this is a good entry point to buy and hold to sell at a profit at a given time and that could be a month it could be 12 months there's been times we've huddled for 18 months yeah is that okay if you genuinely know what's going on yeah. with the market you've looked into the you can you can never fully know what's going on no, of course markets, not. but but you, you've got but it's coming from an educated position yes 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 it's like heaven and earth difference between someone who's following signals, listening to someone yeah. sending some yeah. random, yeah. okay, bye, 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 sell, sell, sell. And I say, look, I've got to say this very, very respectfully. When you have the average person on the street talking as if they're an expert in something that's a financial instru instrument, then you know what? It's 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 gone from they're the, like from Wall Street to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> High Street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. This Open is zarrowed. yeah, exactly. This is then you know, come on, like there's there's something here. And again, it's. Our communities that get taken advantage of. Nearly always. Always. That's me. Right. Before we move over to the latter half of the podcast, which is uh, going to be about Wahid, what it's about, yeah. what it's doing. I've left this one specifically because Aki wanted to discuss it and because I believe this will forever be a conversation. Mm, yes. And that is the position of buying a house on a conventional mortgage. So, <clears throat> from your research and reading and interactions mm. is there a position in the hanafi madhab where you are allowed one house for residential purposes for you to live in in what is constituted from a fiqhi point of view as darul hub right so the, I'm, not, I'm not talking about you to agree again i'm saying are you aware of this position yes yeah 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 there there, there is but actually you've put two rulings or two outcomes together there okay so the one, two, yeah so yeah one is the Darul Har position and the other is buying a house to live in, which is wider than the Ahnaf. Okay, so, so two things. So, so let's touch upon the, the Hanafi one because there's also some basis yep. uh, for my limited reading to say that, look, when you're in Darul Harb, uh, and by the way, if there's any kind of Islamophobes watching this, 
Dal al-Hab, even though it, it translates to the land of war, it just means where the where the authority is not with the Muslims. Yeah, it's not about active war yeah. at all. So it says that you, there's a premise to engage in corrupt contracts, so as you are not the one that's getting done over. Yeah. Yes. So um, you had this position before, because a lot of yeah, I've heard this a, 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 a lot of Desi Savages adopted this position in the yeah. late eighties and nineties because that ruling came from South Africa. Yeah. At that time, yeah. What are you saying? What are you saying? Is that is that is that? Do you have a, what's your you issue? know what is? What's your issue? With Don't that pick and choose. Okay. Darul Harb, <laughs> right? Isn't like just for buying a house. Are you saying be consistent? Yeah, if you're gonna do it, yeah. I'll have more respect for this position. And I, I don't say that like I disrespect the position. If you then take everything with it, which is if people are consistent with following that position, fair right. Right. Yeah. Like and all of that, yeah, yeah. Like, do you honestly think that, like, you know, bro, it's mayhem? Have you ever met anyone that's consistent on that? Have you <laughs> not in person anymore? <laughs> when I did meet them, yeah. then they no you know longer. They were, they were genuine. Okay, they so, were genuine. Okay, so you, so you're saying that look, if, if you're gonna adopt the Dal Har position within the Hanfi school, then be consistent and apply it to. Yeah, if you think, but it was not because. It's not how we're living. It's not how we're behaving. It's not the, the contracts that we have very, whether they're urfi or whether implicit or explicit with, with the land that we live in. We're not doing any of those things, right? It's very different to being in an active state where you're like that, right? And we do have a contract of security with this. Of course, 100%. You know what I mean? As, as yeah. British citizens. And, and these, you know what? When you, say, when you say something like a contract of security, it makes it sound very kind of like insidious from our point of view, right? It's not, no one thinks... Uh, I just want to say something. Listen, everyone, yeah? any haters out there, yeah? Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who spoke about the shuttle contract theory, took this from Islam. Yeah, So anyone who's talking about all oh, these things about citizenship and like a, a contract of security. Well, look, you had the Shamima Begum case. Don't talk to us about this. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Carry on. completely. So 100%. And this is what I'm saying. is like, yeah. you know, we're, we're kind of using classical uh, Arabic or Islamic terms. And we're looking at how we translate to English. It sounds wild. Of course it is. But it's not. It's not. It's not. You know, we're happy. And, and on this point, look. There is absolutely nothing in Islam, not one dot, not one fatah in which we are embarrassed about or can't speak openly about. 100%. Every single bit of Islam is justice. Alhamdulillah. Right? So it's, it's, people don't know how to understand the rulings or the context of the rulings. So this thing about Darul Harb, um, it's not applied con consistently. I, I'd be able to say, look, if you're thinking holistically, what's the rest of the rulings that you apply to yourself? And there's a discussion there. You taking out in isolation is is unfair to the mother. Okay, so so let, let me, uh, an anecdotal example, without thinking of anyone that we've ever met or experienced, was consistent upon it. Yeah. What if you have a brother or a sister? Like, yeah, I've adopted this Dalhabi position, and I and I apply it consistently with everything, with benefits, with bank loans. Have they declared it? Huh? Have they declared it? We don't declare it because the whole point is I'm 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 in a Darul Harb unit. The whole point is I'm going to be dishonest to some extent because I'm in, a, in the land of Darul Harb. Who who are they representing themselves? Which where's where's the Islamic state or the Islamic collective? Oh, they're representing. <laughs> there is <that> one. <laughs> there is who are they representing? Uh, I don't know the Islamic Republic of this Pakistan. This is like some like rogue agent again. Yeah. <laughs> the Islamic the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. Oh, are you saying are you taking instructions from a particular? Who? Who? No one. In, who? no one. No one's instructing me to do this. Like you can't. Or you some rogue agent that <laughs> you're not representing yeah. the Islamic State. I'm trying right? to build something on my own. Yeah, and then yeah, no, because even 
Darul Harb literally land of war if you want to translate it as that. But the true manifestation is where the Muslims don't have authority or there's no existing contracts between contract of peace or treaty between yeah. the Muslims and the non-Muslims. Which means that they know and you know. Yeah. Right? So you're declaring. Oh, you're saying that if you're going to be a Darul Harbi, you have to declare it. Yeah. Kullah, yeah? Yeah, let, let people know. Like, this is, come on, like, this is, again, there's nothing in Islam that you should be embarrassed or ashamed about. So if you're going to say it, then let them know, isn't it? Where are we with you? But if, I tell them, if I tell them, but I can't, then I get lifted and end up in prison. And I can't, and I can't pull these moves off. Then, then go back to the state, right? <laughs> that you're representing to get your 007 badge, okay, right? You know, it's even that. I mean, look, I know we're, we're making light of it. Oh, so the issue is, is one of consistency. Hundred percent. Don't adopt positions that suit you in isolation. Be consistent to all of it. Be consistent to all of it. Then, whatever comes with it, take it. And who who are you representing in this situation? We you know this picking and choosing when something suits us it's it's incorrect. And the other fatwa, if you want to discuss it, is the one that's from the European Fatwa Council, which is that you're allowed to buy a house with a mortgage if it's the house that you live in. And this is a darura position, yeah. This is yeah, not even darura haja, which is one level less than a darura. If you consider uh, darura as necessity, haja as a need. Okay. Right. This is and it's got some. Senior scholars, may Allah uh, preserve those who are alive, and may Allah have mercy on those who have passed away, who hold this position. So these are two, so, so you actually saying those those are two separate things. Yeah, they're two separate positions. The Darul Harbi position is different to the one of Hajar, yeah. Yes, and the Darul Harbi position, you know, like let's go back to it, is credit card fraud is okay. Okay, getting mortgages, it's not even getting a ribby contract. You don't have to pay it back. Yeah. Like, do you understand? Just like, where's it go? Yeah, just yeah, yeah, just me. blast it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Okay, and right. um, so this second one yeah, is probably the main stream one that most people know about or adopt. What's your issue with that one? <sighs> you know, what, I'll be honest with you. Right, I really empathise with this fatwa. I really understand, especially as a Londoner, you must do. Yes, yeah, <laughs> even if it's London, right? It's getting just as bad anywhere else. Right? Yeah, let's yeah. let's be real, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. This fatwa didn't actually say that mortgages are halal. Most people don't understand what the fatwa says. They just quote it. They don't understand it. You have to go through a process to have a roof over your head. And if at the end of it, you go through everything you can't, then you're allowed to get a mortgage to purchase a house in which you live in. But it's still haram. Right now, this is a big thing about this. If you understand that, if you understood something as durura, so if I was to ask you this question, you're out in the middle of the desert, you haven't had food or drink for days, and suddenly you find a pack of 24, you know, crate of lager. I'll have enough to quench my thirst, bro. Yeah? I'm going to knock all 24 back and say, yeah, you know what? Yeah? I needed that. You agree with that, Aki? Yeah. <laughs> 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 and a little bit for the journey. <laughs> of course, it depends if it's cold or the desert's made it yeah, hot. Yeah, yeah. Oh but we know the position. But yeah, of course, yeah, I understand. You yeah. only have that amount which removes the need uh, for it in the first place. That's right. When it comes to mortgages, if people understood that, that it's still haram, then they would only take from it that which is an absolute necessity to meet their requirements. So our brothers. We've gone out to get massive five bedroom yards with double like garage and a big driveway and a massive garden. And they say, oh, it's the house that I live in. How is it justified? 
Because if you truly thought it was haram, something that you're engaging in war with Allah and His Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, how would you how would you find it acceptable, right? So I empathize, but I'm saying first of all, people need to understand the ruling, the actual ruling, what it means, and going through that process. And why I say I empathize with this because we're living in a time when we talk about cost of living and and general hardship for people. It's mad. It is. It's a it's madness. Actually it's actually mad. You know? And UK comparatively to the rest of Europe as well. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 really difficult, subhanAllah. And and especially with uh, you're talking about some of the weak in our society, like single mom. We know this because we yeah. deal with it in our in our area. Single mothers with children being kicked out of their homes, right? They've rented, the rents have gone up. The the disparity between rent and mortgages. We're talking about one case on the way here, bro. Really, subhanAllah. Mm. What you do is so difficult. So I can understand why someone may adopt that position. But if they do, my view is always that look, supporting a riba based system is ultimately feeding into oppression. I but I empathize with the view of those who take it. Where I have zero tolerance for is Islamic mortgages. Okay, so... I have zero tolerance for Islamic mortgages. Okay. Conventional mortgages, right? I understand why. You try and avoid it. You do everything you can, right? But it may be that you're not... And then that's between you and Allah, but at least hate it, right? Try and get an individual fatah. This isn't a blanket ruling on it. Because, because of those mortgages, pro properties today, this is the perverse thing. There's a direct relationship between credit supply, mortgages, lending, and house property prices. So our parents' generation that bought properties and mortgages are part of the reason why we can't afford them today. That's crazy. I never thought about it like that. Mm. But because they bought the, the yards that they did during Thatcher's time, when she basically did the whole yeah. kind of uh, rent to buy, yep. and everyone started buying yards for eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 grand, in the late 80s, early 90s, you're saying because of that mass kind of purchase And the credit supply, borrowing money to get it yeah. Bro, if you look at the map, they go up identical So every time mortgage prices, so house prices, they go up with more lending Mind. You see? Mm. So imagine you're the reason Now if you remove yourself from having a nafsi approach And you have a, you know, a, approach where you're concerned about society you try and find an alternative. You work, subhanAllah, there's one very good brother, Allah bless him, very wealthy. I spoke to him and we're talking about his investments and he goes, he does in property development only, not in buying. Because then he's increasing the house supply mm. to help people. So he gets them built and then he sells them rather than buying properties, which removes stock from the community for them to be unable to then buy homes that which they live in. Very different to a lot of people who just, you know, properties in it and mm, build up their property portfolio. portfolio. Yeah. You know, where they've borrowed money and you know, subhanAllah, this is what breaks my heart in our community. Do you know how much of a big thing it is to be a proprietor in our communities, bro? bro Especially it is, the man. It's a badge, isn't it? Gosman, you know yeah. that Bengalis, Pakistanis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't speak for the, the Gujis, but but for Pakistanis and Bengalis, it's a thing, isn't it? Of course it is. My is yard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, your your um your desirability as a prospective groom rockets as soon as you say you've got your own yard. Yeah, hundred percent. It's a flex, isn't it? Yeah, and and, and having multiple properties. Oh, in it, yeah. that one you're like you're you're yeah, you're game. made in it, right? Yeah, you're made. Uh, but these same people, Subhanallah, when they are families that need help, they aren't willing to give them a discount on rent. Yeah, bro, they're in one area. I don't want to say the area because it's maybe obvious who it is owns literally. Hundreds, if not thousands, that level of property. 
And brother went to him and said, there's this family, very hard times, single mother with children. Can you give her a property or can you knock off the rent? No. And there's this perverseness with the Muslim community where we love to give charity, but we don't care how we go about making that money or when we can give people honor and dignity in them living their lives. We don't care. We will squeeze them from a business perspective. We do whatever it takes in a business perspective. And then we make ourselves feel better by Give some charity giving on a, some charity. On a fundraiser. Yeah. It's a very dire situation, but when you put it like that. So <clears throat> I once had a home purchase plan once upon a time. Yeah. And uh, I said in a previous podcast, um, it literally felt like being enslaved uh, to a mafia boss. Because once you got that end of year statement, bruv, and you saw a char, is this what my rent is? And this is what my acquisition is? Bruv, it was h- horrific. <laughs> it was <laughs> horrific, bro. You know when you're paying 12, 1300 pounds, of which nearly a grand of that is your rent. I can't see how anyone on a Sharia compliant home purchase plan would ever f- willingly do that and not go for the conventional. This is the other point, you know, Dili, right? If it was fully Sharia compliant, yeah, right? If it was 100%, I'm sorry, I'm just using an example because yeah. you're engaged now, right? Yeah. On this, yeah. <laughs> you, you brought yourself into yeah. it on me, right? <laughs> right? You know, I can understand why there may be a premium. Just the way you may pay for a th- the bihami, mm. right? You're paying for extra for that. But when in all intents and purposes, but outcomes. But it's there's the one same. thing signing the contract, understanding the rules, the wording, the, the concepts behind it, and there's one thing living in it. Bro, it's horrible. Well, you're paying more for the. Pr- you know what's something <laughs> even worse? Even worse, Dilly, right? There's another bank yeah. that does Islamic mortgages. And uh, I've given you that term, it's an oxymoron, mm. right? The person said in this gathering that mm. 50% of our customers are non-Muslim. Brilliant. They were like, yeah. When, when, when did they give shahada? Right, exactly. They're amazing. It gets worse, Aki, bro. <laughs> because, you know, the way generally banks work is that the, they take money in deposits and they will give a return for those money in deposits because they lend that money for in products. So typically you'll charge something at 6%. And you give the deposit holders 3% argument sake. So you're looking at that, right? This Islamic bank goes, 50% of our customers are non-Muslim. Afterwards, in a uh, kind of private like dinner scenario, he goes, almost all of our deposit holders are non-Muslim. And all of our product takers are Muslim. Muslim. So they're paying more for the privilege and giving the return to who? The non-Muslims. And, and this is what we're doing because charging this premium goes where? Ibn al-Qayyim, subhanAllah, Ibn al-Qayyim, Allah right, rahimullah, he said, this is centuries ago. He goes, I can't see how Allah the most wise and the most just would make something forbidden, i.e. riba, and people will simply apply it through another structure for which you pay more for it. This goes against the whole purpose of the ruling. That's my, and we're now in 2023 and it's been happening exactly what he said. Exactly. Exactly. Because look, when you looked at that contract, he basically, he basically just said it was people who repackage, repackage riba and actually pay more than what you would have done if it was just riba. Exactly. And at least you know it's riba and you'd ask Allah to forgive you. 
Well, here it's just rubber stamp legitimized, right? Sharia. Yeah, exactly. Were you not contractually obliged to pay them more? Yes. The money that you gave for the house, contractually. But, but could you take? Could you turn around and say, "Listen, I don't want to buy your share." I couldn't do that. No, you couldn't. But there was, but but it was, it was, it was pitched to me from a shared ownership point of view, and that yeah, you were buying it shared ownership, but you're also a tenant in this yard as well. Yep, no problem. And um, but this is the this is the going one rates. contract. That's fine. Yeah. But at the same time, the other part of the contract is the acquisition. Yeah. Which is based on base rate. Yes. Which is based on the national interest rate. Yeah. Did you do a credit check to get it? Yes. And I'll tell you why I'm saying this because yes. when, we, when we talk about some of the alternatives, yes. you, see the, you did a credit check to get it. Yeah. Like why credit well, like, check? Because they're lending you money. Like they're lending you money like a convention. Exactly. And this is this is the thing. I've spoken to scholars in finance globally. Alhamdulillah, I've uh, had the privilege of speaking to lots of different Islamic finance scholars. Every single finance scholar that I've spoken to, and I asked them this specific question, I said, the Islamic finance products, are they permissible in and of themselves? Like in every time and every place, as a structure, they're permissible. They go, of course not. They go, we allow them because of the context. Right? So how many people take these products know this? At least be clear about it. At least this thing about... It's as Sharia compliant as you get. It's as halal as you get. Like what, half a nikah? Like, you know, come on. Mm. Just be clear. If you're clear on this point, then people can decide. But no, it's packaged as it being fully halal. And so people take it and they pay more for the privilege. Which whereas, is the issue. Whereas but the convention is just telling you what it is, isn't it? It is, exactly. And it's really half the, half the price. We're buying, we're buying the house for you, charging you more. Done. And you know, this is the issue that I have because Islamic finance today is a complete mess because of things like this. And it reminds me of the story of Ashab al-Sabd, the people of Saturday mm. in the Quran, what Allah says to them. From Bani Israel. Yeah. Don't fish on a Saturday. So what do they do? They put their nets out on Friday and they picked them up on Sunday. And Allah tested them by putting fish out on the Saturday. Technically, they haven't broken the rule. But they found a way around it. A loophole. And what's scary is that when I engage with some of these scholars, can you imagine if we were in that situation today? Let's, let's be honest, right? And I know we may open another kind of worms when it comes to maslaha. Someone, someone would try it. They will say, Someone would try well, it. All the fish come on Saturday. There's a benefit. There's a maslaha. We need to be fed. Yeah. Which is, we want to be economically integrated in society, which is why you need these products. We're going down the same. And by the way, the church had these issues. And they dealt with it in a certain way in terms of messing about with contracts. And the Yehud, they, you know, if, um, if I can use that term right, right, because I'm using it from their scriptures, they, they, they're ruling their riba interest is banned. So what they do is that of it's only banned. Term, Yehud and Nasara, we can use this term. Yeah, no they, uh, it's only banned amongst ourselves, but we can charge it to the Gentiles. I asked, I asked Rabbi Al Hanan Beck this. Yeah, I said, Rabbi, usury. Because yeah, we, he says we can charge the Gentile, we don't charge ourselves. Why? Because hmm? we because we want to strengthen ourselves and weaken the Gentile, innit? Clot them. And, and How can that be just where something is like haram for you, but permissible for others? You know, so where Islamic finance today is in that space, which is why respectfully, I have a lot of issues with a lot of the people that push these types of products because they're weakening our community. They're taking advantage of our community. They're stopping genuine innovation. Like you look, you see profiteering from 100%. the privilege of having something Islamic. Yeah. 
right? You look Islamic at alternative Germany. They don't have the same home ownership issues as UK. Like you know, but there is, but is this whole adage about the Englishman and his castle. Yeah, they're something about Brits. We just love our own yachts. We, it's absolutely. But as a community, if we truly uh, hated riba in the way it should be hated, we would be looking at lots of different types of alternatives to achieve the same outcome. Where's the movement for better tenancy laws? Something that replicates Germany. What I'm saying is sometimes we need to think outside of the box mm -hmm. rather than replicating what's available conventionally. Taking something which is intrinsically haram and thinking, how do we make this halal? Which is mm. where the problem starts. Yeah. Look, mashallah, we've, we've covered a lot. You've written a lot off, which, does, which, which, which doesn't leave you know, aspiring people with some disposable income, any disposable income to think, well, what's there left for us to do? We can't do freaking NFTs. We can't do bloody crypto. We can't do ICOs. Can't do Forex. Can't do... Can't sell tangents for tenor. Yeah, can't sell tangents <laughs> for tenor. Um, you know, just about can afford maybe a hundredth of a Bitcoin at this current rate. What's there left for us to do? So, why Wahid? Why? Look, I, I, even before Wahid, the first thing is right. First, I have to say this, <laughs> right? For people, there is a responsibility in everyone. In fact, uh, on the day of judgment, your feet will not move until you ask certain questions. Two of them are what to do with your money: how you earned it and how you spent it. Right. So everyone should have this thing about their money, where they get it from, and how they spend it. Investing is something that is encouraged Islamically. The Prophet ﷺ, when he came to the guardian of an orphan, now we know that the rights of the yatim are sacred in Islam. Sacred. The Prophet ﷺ asked the, uh, the, the trustee, he goes, what are you doing with the orphan's wealth? And he said, nothing. And the Prophet ﷺ said, you should invest it, or it will be eroded. Eaten by zakah. Eaten by zakah. Yeah. So there's this thing about Investing, number one. Number two, if you leave your money in a bank account, you can't take the riba from it, you can't take the interest from it, you can't benefit from it. Everyone should know that anyway, that's a given thing. But the rates of inflation mean that it's actually been going to be valued less. So now it makes sense, Islamically and conventionally, right, to invest that money. So make your money work for you. So there should be certain criteria for that. Number one, it should be Islamic. Definitely like signed off, approved. It should be Islam. There's no negotiation on this. You can't put your money into something haram. Quick one, Omar, yeah. Some of the things that we've discussed, like, you know, the, the, the previous investments which you have a problem with or, or the position that you've adopted is, is impermissible. Um, maybe not so clear as day as Forex and stuff like that. But on other issues, you know, certain brothers will say, well, look, this scholar has said it's okay. So on, on Yom Al-Qiyamah, between me and Allah, there's this scholar who I've adopted. Yeah. Like, like that's a mindset that exists So like you know when you say Sharia Something that's Sharia compliant yeah. Or sh sh uh, Sharia finance Sharia mortgage All that stuff Some One of the justifications would be Well look this scholar's given the, st the stamp of approval And he's going to get burnt before I get burnt Because yeah. I went up to this position If that scholar said that you can drink alcohol Would you drink it? No As a quick response No It wasn't There wasn't even in thinking about it It wasn't Right? If that I said scholars, no in my head. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Right. I didn't mean no. Really? I'll ask you this. Uh, Aki, if the scholar says that you can eat a sausage sandwich. No, absolutely not. Oh, alhamdulillah. Glad you said it out loud this time. <laughs> <laughs> right? So we say that clearly, but sunny hair, it comes to. Homer <laughs> kills in it. Like there's been two alcohol examples one in the desert and one with the. Yeah, bro. <laughs> Give us some help afterwards. <laughs> well, there's a credit. Omar, listen, listen. Yeah. I need to borrow a thousand pounds. Dilly, no problem. You have one month to pay me. If not after one month, I charge you a hundred pounds every month. This is called riba. 
Usury is haram for us. It's not allowed. Is it allowed for Judaism? It's not allowed not in the Jewish community. But it is allowed outside the Jewish community. Because... Gunshots. He wants to clot clot the Gentiles. They're open about it. Yeah. Like, yeah, at least they're open about yeah, it. Yeah, right? they're, they're not an issue. At least they're strengthening their community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's because they made that law. A lot of make that law for yeah. them. <laughs> and this is the thing. Isa alayhi salam, when he came, right? Isa alayhi salam, when he came, and this, I remember I was uh, at an event, you know, at COP26, and I was speaking yeah. on stage. Before me was a, a very senior figure from the Scot- Scottish church. And they were talking about, you know, being good with finance. And he said, oh, uh, Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, obviously didn't use this language, loves everyone. And so you should love everyone through your financial transactions. I came and spoke after him and I said, we just heard that indeed the Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, was a loving man. To throw a bit of a qida in there, right? He was a loving man. However, in his life, he was violent and he was angry and he shouted and he became physical with who? The money lenders. Yes. As one of the first, in fact, his main beef. Yeah. Alayhi salam was, was with those who did riba. And they were changing the law of Allah. Mm. They were changing the law of God. So all of these things are going on, right? Where they're changing the rules, etc. And this is what's crept into Islamic finance and how we understand finance today, unfortunately. So from a Muslim perspective, man, like, you know, make sure it's halal. Make sure your money's working for you. Um, this point that you asked, actually, if scholars said that it's, if they've said it's okay, if you're truly, we say anbar, right? Well, you don't know anything, right? Right, and you're blind following, then okay, you can maybe use that. Is there, most, some, is there some wits about you, and and you, and you can? Well, yeah, when we do everything, man, people are researching phones, which headsets to get, what item to buy from yeah, TikTok. When it, we comes go, to, when it comes to yard, everyone's dumb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Come <laughs> on, like you know, just be real about it. You can't hang your coat on that hook, man. I'm, I'm afraid to say today. So. Wahid, I know um, in a previous episode with our dear brother Ibrahim from uh, Islamic Finance School, Inshallah. I gave you a shout out and I said, Umar's going to kill me when he sees but I love him to bits, but the returns seem dead. Yeah. yeah? So we'll get to the re- percentage return, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. First, can you, because Wahid Invest has been around for some time, but yeah. in the last two years, it like from a marketing PR point of view, like it's exploded. Alhamdulillah, like, Khabib, Makachev, the Dakistanis. Um, Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba. Mm. Who's the Dutch footballer that became Muslim? Is he? Is he? Is he? Is he a brand? Is yeah. he a yeah. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> What's that? You know, you know, Mufti Meg. You know, he, massive names. Yeah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. But beyond the strong marketing and PR and the branding, which no doubt has been phenomenal in the last two years, and obviously you've met. Khabib, um, you know, he's only done three podcasts and you are one of them. Alhamdulillah. He done the Mike Tyson podcast, he done the Nelk Boys, he done the Wahid Invest. Yeah. You know? So that's that's big in the game, mashallah. But beyond the glitzy and, and, and powerful branding, what is Wahid? Yeah. What does it actually do? Yep. I've got five thousand pounds. Yeah. It's just an example to Invest in Wahid. What happens with that five thousand pounds? Okay, all right. So, uh, and how is it free from interest? From cool. Riba? I'll cover all of it. So, Wahid uh, was set up with this vision to, and our logo is actually our tagline is "Freedom from Riba," mm-hmm. is to protect people from Riba. We started this off, and it, before my time, uh, the founder Janaid, Allah bless him. I mean, um, 
He started off with a problem to solve, which was to give Muslims halal opportunities to grow their wealth. Started off in US. So where we serve about 340,000 customers globally, fully regulated in every jurisdiction that we're in. I'm just saying this so people understand US, UK, Malaysia and global internationally, we have regulatory licenses in a number of other countries we're not in yet. What we do is at a retail level um, is allow the average person to invest in a halal way. The underlying investments currently are stocks and shares, which are obviously reviewed to make sure that they should be compliant. Uh, gold, right? So um, last year I went to the Royal Mint in in, in uh, Wales to go and see the gold. Uh, it was quite interesting. Um, so did you see bare gold there? Um, there, yeah, and we saw how money's made. Okay. All the mint and everything, and this is uh, guarded by the British Army, awesome, which right. is interesting. Uh -huh. So uh, the, uh, the we've got gold. Then we've got something called sukuk. So this is through our, which is like an asset-backed bond. Um, I'm not particularly a fan of it, but it's something that's offered. Why aren't you a fan of it? Uh, because it's very highly structured. Okay. Yeah, it's very highly structured. Sorry, yeah, the way they use contracts, etc. So this is allowed for a person to invest in a, in a retail level, very simply done via an app. You go into an app, you, you sign on, and minimum uh, investment is like £50 in the UK, $100 in the US is an, an example. So it's giving, allowing the average person now to be able to invest and grow their wealth. Previously, this was only something that was for the super rich. They'd go to their private brokers, they'd buy stocks and shares. Now you can do it kind of fractional investing that you can buy a share in and, and in, uh, you know any stocks and shares. The way we have them, we have them packaged together in funds or ETFs, mm -hmm. right? So they're put together. So you do all of this and they're also, um, because of the regulation and because we're, we're regulated, we can put them in tax wrappers. So in ISA, mm -hmm. no? so your individual savings account, which everyone can invest up to 20,000 pounds a year. And if it increases, you don't pay any tax on it. There's pensions and so on and so forth, et cetera, that are available as well. Through the app, it's really important. You go in, you put your details in, you choose uh, based on, you do a suitability questionnaire, based on your suitability, how you answer the questions and say, okay, you can either have a more aggressive portfolio. So very aggressive is just in stocks and shares because they can rise the most what or kind, something. What, what, what kind of roughly percentage returns roughly? I know you can never give a specific, but what are we looking at? So when I was head of the UK, I was looking at it, and this was just before the market dip that's happened mm. in the last six months. Uh, we were looking at at least twelve to thirteen percent annually okay, on the very aggressive. That's that's very that's aggressive. Yeah, because, right. because five to seven is long, bro. Five to seven percent is long compared to what? The other madness that's available. In it. The Harami stuff. If you look at anyone, if you speak to any... Uh, this stuff, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If you speak to anyone who uh, is a wealth manager, <coughs> someone who invests big, we're doing big, big boys, right? Uh, Alhamdulillah, I've spoken to some people, mashallah, mashallah, bless them. Allah's blessed them with, you know, next level wealth. Yeah, but they're five to seven percent that level, isn't it though? Like it's next level. Yeah, when you've got a hundred million, that five to seven percent is massive. You ask them what they want, right? Yeah, they, they will put money in. And they, for them, five to seven percent is phenomenal. When you've got a hundred million, Omar, it makes so, sense. So of course, but now what it means is the person who thinks five to seven percent isn't enough, they're trying to get rich quick. Yeah, because nearly always those who are not poor, but those who are socioeconomically not so stable as them brothers that have been blessed with wealth in abundance. Yeah. So then their risk appetite doesn't actually match 
what they can afford to lose. Achoo, so they actually want to risk more than what they actually have. Exactly, and which is why Muslims unfortunately are susceptible more to scams. There's people who want to take advantage of the Muslim community, right? They'll sell them these get rich quick schemes. Bro, like doubling your money uh, or things like this doesn't exist yeah, that's normally. Not real. That's, right. It's not real. That's right. It's not real. Where it can happen is in the VC space, venture capital space, where you're investing in startups, etc. So Wahid set off with this kind of for the retail. We also then set up Wahid X, which was to specifically support Muslim startups. Because we realized actually, if you're investing in these established uh, companies, this, uh, like, you know, in stocks and shares, etc., by and large, these established companies are kind of non-Muslim based. They don't have a, you know, a particular angle to, to benefit Muslims, etc. There's no Dini basis to them at all. No, 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 exactly. And, and, and the flow of money, is all going into those companies. Yeah. What about the, the Muslim companies? Like there's no lack of talent in the Muslim world, but they just don't have access to capital. So why X was set up specifically with this mandate that uh, uh, Muslims or actually anyone who has a project that there's some sort of beneficial angle for Muslims, then we want to help support it. As director of global risk and Sharia compliance, naturally there's going to be bring the podcast to a close there's gonna be naturally some challenges and obstacles that you're of gonna have yeah um there was a case from i think it was a year and a half ago maybe maybe even a year ago yeah some, something happened in the us in new york yep uh where there was a lawsuit uh i think against wahid about it not being sharia compliant right so it wasn't a lawsuit the regulator SEC, the regu sorry my mistake no no my that's mistake. fine they find yeah uh wahid yeah. Uh, in the US yeah. for on three points. On three points. They said there was one which was um the Sharia compliance, there wasn't a Sharia policy. Yep. And I'll explain all of these. There wasn't a Sharia policy uh internally. And uh, number two was um advertising something as a fund. Yep. When it wasn't a fund. Yep. And thirdly is um making a decision on, on clients' funds without um without notifying them. Effectively, yeah. These were the three things. Sorry, my mistake. It wasn't a lawsuit. It was a regulatory. No, no, no. That's fine. Of course, it was. It. It was yeah, yeah. Fine. It's just a regulatory fine, which is which is fine. This happened. Uh, the period that it covers actually was quite early on. It right. was only released last yeah. like last year, and so the, the three issues. Number one was uh, they didn't have an internal Sharia policy. That's because all of the Sharia governance was done externally. So we use Sharia Review Bureau. Who come in and do an audit, and you know they come in, they'll check everything. They've got three scholars globally who uh, who work on it. Um, was the regulatory expectation for that to be internal? No, no, no. They said, "Why have you not got an internal policy?" Yeah, but for you, the but you're saying that it was done externally. That's yeah, why. Okay, exactly. Okay, but in any case, it, it's not an issue because Alhamdulillah, we've got a policy mm -hmm. and we've got an internal scholar we've hired. Uh, the organization is, you can imagine, it's very small. You start up, anyone who's worked in a startup yeah. is very different to when you're uh, much more like of a going concern, you're established, you're in scale up now. So that was one issue. So, okay, alhamdulillah. And just for everyone to kind of understand this point, for the SEC to be opining on what Sharia and not Sharia <laughs> is, you know, I'll, I'll leave that to everyone yeah, yeah. To, to think about. Right. So this is that. There's, it was never an issue that there isn't, um, uh, a sh um, it's not Sharia compliant. They didn't say that. They yeah, said there was a Sharia policy. Uh, an internal one in place. Yeah, an internal but, one in but place. But you, you had it done externally. Yes, yeah, yeah. So okay. it was done externally. Even the funds that were invested and they all have their own Sharia boards. <coughs> okay. But it's acceptable. Like, you know, it's like anyone who's in the food business, you know, people talk about ratings, yeah. like three star, five star. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, if you are the cleanest restaurant there is, physically clean, everything is done, but you don't have the paperwork, you will never get five stars. Yeah. Right? 100%. So this is something that was in there, and, you know, it was in there. And it was good, alhamdulillah, because it allows us to put it in place. And we recently delivered training for the entire organization on this. The second one was that something was referred to as a fund. Now this in advertising, actually it wasn't advertising, it was a, 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 a market presentation that was done for clients. And in a footnote somewhere, they'd referred to the investments uh, that Wahid was doing in the US at that time as a fund. Now the issue was that fund has a technical meaning mm -hmm. from a regulatory perspective. And they were like, you call it a fund when it's not a fund. And it wasn't even described as that, it was just in uh, in a footnote. Wow. So, alhamdulillah, like, so, you know. So you're saying that was more of a case of semantics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the person who is a small team, person's doing everything, he thought he'd removed it from everything. It was left in a footnote on a slide, right? So, okay, accept it. Like, you know, no one's trying to sell something as a fund when it's not a fund. He just referred to it as a fund. And the, the, the third thing was, um, Clients at that time, why he set up his own ETF, which was listed, his ticker is uh, HLAL, Halal, uh, the first to be listed on the NASDAQ. That was massive. Yeah, Alhamdulillah. That's it moved huge. clients' investments into that fund, uh, which was more advantageous because it was cheaper for the, the clients. The issue was that they didn't communicate it first to the clients, which was an oversight from the, the team because they were a small team. So because of that, they said, oh, you know, your, uh, there's um, a conflict of interest because you've moved in. There wasn't a uh, any kind of detriment, it's more advantageous. All they had to do was actually let the clients know up front. But Alhamdulillah, thum, alhamdulillah I think without a shadow of a doubt, having this was good ultimately, because subsequently to that, the team's grown. Uh, I came in as the global head of risk and compliance in Sharia we've created a whole risk framework where we run in every country. Sharia is part of that risk framework. We have an internal Sharia officer that we engage with SRB. It's, it's a completely different organization. Um, so yeah, Alhamdulillah, mistakes were made. No one's saying that there wasn't, but th the way it was kind of- uh, Are well, you saying it was more sinister in the way that it was reported by Simon? Uh, I would say definitely the way that certain people reported it. Mm. The the regulator is agnostic to this stuff. They will just say, it's like, you know, Westminster, if you park in Westminster and you get fine, right? The, 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 the same week that, that it came out about Wahid, uh, there was another massive financial institution that got fined hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions. No one says anything. What we realized when the thing happened with Wahid was how many people actually in the Islamic finance fraternity or community jumped on it and started promoting it. We're happy. Yeah. And this is the thing that that got me was I was saying that, look, from a general Islamic principle with anything, um, you know, where actually there's a situation uh, in a certain part of London where someone, an imam was caught doing stuff he shouldn't have been doing and it was presented in the news. The principle applies the same, whatever it is. If someone comes to you with news and it's described verify, as a classic. Especially a hundred percent. Verify it. And, and People could have asked me, but you start seeing straight away that they're putting out posts like saying, oh, like these guys, they did this, they did that, da, 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 da. Speak, ask what the situation is. It's not an issue. Yeah. There's nothing to hide. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm I'm very like, if we made a mistake, we'll say it. Because it's done, alhamdulillah, the organization's different. It's, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm not bothered by that. I was just surprised at the people. And then just kind of very quickly you get to realize who's who, you know. But alhamdulillah.
Um, bringing the podcast to a close, my last question that I posit to you is this, uh, and, and this is your specific newly appointed role as the director of global risk, is that, forget about global risk, let's talk about domestic risk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Wahid, from a brand point of view, mashallah, strong brand, strong. Like, how can you? You've got you've got some powerful people there, you know, fronting and promoting uh, the the organization. So naturally, you're going to have people who are going to want to partner, going to want want to collaborate, mm. who are going to want to do things with you guys and have your labels uh, on 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 their on their content and vice versa and so forth. You, mashallah, tabarakallah, as what I know of you. Is that you have the unique ability, and I genuinely say this to you, my brother. I won't throw too much dirt on your face, but you truly do have this unique ability to be able to move with different circles, right? <laughs> and your ability to engage with the Muslimic is du'at, the Muslimic Islamic activists, the Canary Wolf Gang, mm. um, and, and if, you know, you know, diplomats, foreign dignitaries, the roadmen from South London. The, the, like like the diversity of people that mashallah that will sing your praise as if they know you so personally, right? That's a, it's a blessing that you have, and it's it's a, it's, a, it's a unique skill set. That said, how are you going to now use this particular skill set that Allah has blessed you with yeah. to safeguard wahid from people who you know their organizations have? Not necessarily the best interests at heart of the community Whether it's knowingly or unknowingly They've done things that have oppressed and harmed the community yeah. But from a brand point of view They seem very mainstream They want to rub shoulders with Wahid And that kind of stuff How do you tackle and overcome this? So um, This Alhamdulillah Within risk I'll, tackle, I'll, I'll enter it from the, the risk perspective And um, Yeah uh, before that, like, really have to say, look, man, Allah will not hold us to account for what people think of us and make us better I mean, than what people think of I us. Mean, you know? I mean, yeah. And yeah, so from a risk perspective, there's lots of different types of risks. Any type of you'll have like a risk um, you breakdown of what's called a risk taxonomy. One of these is reputational risk, right? So as an organization, um, working with certain organizations that are going to impact your ability to engage with your target market is a reputational risk. So from that point of view, it's very straightforward, right? So it doesn't even come into like the subjectivity of, um, is this person a good person or a bad person? If this person uh, or their organization rather is one that's known or there's issues in, in from the, the your target market, then you shouldn't, uh, and we, we won't really engage with them because it's not worth the reputational risk. So who is the target market? Uh, it is um, primarily Muslims, Muslim community. Middle class uh, Muslims? No, it's it's for everyone. This is you see when it comes to finance, the ones most in need of economic justice are the ones who find it the hardest to get. So it's not just middle class Muslims; they are the ones who have the most disposable income. But we want everyone to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. So even uh, can you use working class as a term now? You can to some extent. For people who are maybe earning as much, or people people aren't earning aren't as, as wealthy. Much. Why should they not have the ability to put their money away and save and invest it in a halal way? So we want to make sure that they're catered for as well. So if our community wouldn't engage with certain organizations or personnel, why would we even want to? It, it It's not about Umar. It's about, from a reputational risk perspective, how we think as an organization. Um, where there may be a challenge, and alhamdulillah we haven't had it so far, is saying no to someone uh, from a regulatory position. 
we right. can't, you know, we, we can't engage in anything that's going to bring us as an organization into disrepute. But that's not really that often, to be honest. You know, are you ever frustrated or do you ha have you ever been frustrated that, you know, mashallah, you've the kind of company that you keep on matters of Islamic affairs, whether yeah. it's that one, Islamic yeah. activism. Uh, people know who you move with, yeah, yeah, yeah. who your murabbis are and, yeah. and, and your teachers and your advisors are. But then, then because of your f background in finance, um, you have you were in Canary Wharf for how many years? Yeah, or well, eight years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, non-figure in that part of London. Yeah, and um, yeah. and you are moving about is different. Like, I remember there's a, a senior uh, head of a particular Muslim organization, and you said, Dilly, you know, you should meet this person and have a conversation with them. I'm like, right, how did you? How did that person even like? How are you even in con contact with that person? Yeah. But they are, and you, and you have yeah. that access, right? Are you ever frustrated, or have you ever been in a situation where you're like, <clears throat> I know this organization or this individual. Their background is X, Y, and Z, but you know what? Uh, I mean, I, I can't apply that here um, because the goals and objectives are different here in the context of Wahid. No, I guess me do, personally. Do, have, I, have I worded that okay? Yeah, I've understood that. Uh, me personally, not as much so because, um, in terms of risk, now uh, I'm not dealing with everything. <laughs> when it's a smaller organization, you're going to have to deal with. Uh, you know, different people, different organizations. The purpose of Wahid, it isn't a it isn't from that point of view a community organization. It's still a uh, it's a regulated business. Uh, and we've got to deal uh but this is with people along the way. This is some liberty and freedom as to who you choose to engage with. Of course, with. of course. So m my kind of criteria is very simply what would be known as uh I won't use the Arabic, I'll use English. Those people who work in the Muslim interest and those people who work against the Muslim interest. That's a simple criteria, you know. So anyone who is seen as still working in the Muslim interest, right, and serves the interest of Islam. And I'd say that not even just Muslims, serves Islam. the interest of Islam. Then these are people we can engage with, work with, because ultimately the aim is the same. Um, and if they're not, then we can't because... It's going against our whole purpose and what we're doing. And I, I just want to say on this point, actually, and I, and I said it, I think, briefly earlier. To see, I truly believe, without a shadow of that, Allah's rules, Allah's laws, uh, Allah's guidance uh, is perfect, is entirely just. And we want to see it adopted holistically because we believe it is uh, going to be for the betterment of society. I work in a specific uh, angle, which is finance, to see about financial equity and justice for people that you see most of the world is oppressed because of finance. You look at the individual family, there's, there's oppression within families because of economic injustice. So that's our mission, right? And but Quickly, would you, would you say to some extent, I know we didn't get the opportunity to talk yeah. about it, we did off camera. Yeah. Would you say some of the kind of like current culture gender wars that's now strongly seeped into the Muslim community and about what the ideal man is and what the ideal wife is and, and all that kind of lost. Thing. It's lost because of finance, bro. So you think that's linked to finance? Completely as well? linked to finance. Why mm. a person before all of uh, you can say, you know, mm. your father, Allah bless him, right? He purchased a house working on his own. Breadwinner. Brought up a whole family mm. and, and brought a bare families back home, no <laughs> yeah, doubt. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. My dad was the same. Right. But today, no, we want to have 
you know, uh, lavish lifestyles. We want nice houses. We want holidays regularly. We only want to have one kid because it's too much effort otherwise. And all of this is to get that level of lifestyle is seeking it financially and is to the detriment of, of the family unit. Mm. Completely, the two are interlinked. When you see the destruction of the family, it goes back to finances. You can't afford to have one person working anymore. We went pear shape as soon as the West started sending their women to work, to be honest. Post-World War II, there was a massive reliance on women in the labour force. That's why a lot of people came from the, the former colonies to come because they realised even back then, right, if we, if we keep the women in the factories, there's going to be no one making babies at home. Yeah. So that's why they bought people from the former colonies. But even then, I, this is my view, and, and, and it is backed by data, and, and, and many sociologists have spoken about this in great detail, is that, look, capitalists, I don't mean to sound like a socialist right here, is a second source of income for tax for yeah. state, capitalist states. Yeah, uh, They would argue that, well, hold on, we lost so many men in the two world wars, it was necessary for the women to go into the workforce. Yeah. right? But what's happened is that now there is a reliance on women to work. Yeah, and, and what's and what what's taken a hit is 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 being a mother at home. Yeah, to some extent, I'm not I'm, I'm not saying carte blanche it, you know, that women shouldn't work. I'm not saying that. Yeah, I'm saying course. that that was the major shift in the last. It century. comes to the collateral. Yeah, yeah. It, it was the major shift in the last century. Yeah, that that really affected that. And it's linked to money and finance. It and is work. definitely yeah. linked to that. And I think, look, you know, there's, you know, you can't broad brush like you know broad brush this. There's Sisters and mothers that have to work. They have to work. They have to four hundred percent. I'm big no, up to them. Of course, them. Allah bless them. For them. I mean, the thing is though, to say somehow that a uh, a mother that raises her children or a housewife is less valued in society, this hurts. Yeah, of course, mm. big time. This because we're now what we're doing is placing a dollar or a pound of value on someone based on their economic input, and that's the shame because we've brought everything back into a materialistic sense. We don't see the impact it's having on our families, like our mothers and wives uh, and daughters are there to be cherished and Allah has given them honor. But we are taking them away from that and saying that actually this is how you seek honor. And again, this isn't saying anything from our sisters that are going out. They need to work. Of course, Alhamdulillah, Allah bless them. But it shouldn't, you shouldn't say that their value is in society is greater than Than the women. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, any concluding thoughts or questions you want to ask Omar? No, I think that was a fantastic way to actually conclude it in terms of the impact money and the mismanagement of it, or how it should be managed properly can impact families and homes and societies and communities. Um, it's massive, really. Yeah, but Jazakallah Khair, Omar, it was, uh, it was fantastic having you on the podcast. You know, really, you know, shared so much information and insight on money, finance, investment, so many different aspects. We always yeah. say that some of the best podcasts are the ones where we speak very little. Yeah, that's what I'm being honest with you. Okay, because so you're learning, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> we had this with a few guests, and, and you know when you just sit and listen, uh, cool. people think, "Oh, why are the brothers engaging?" It's usually because we're actually listening and benefiting as well. Yeah, from the love for that, my dear brother. Barakallah. And um, uh, patting that thing up, doing if you can. Yeah. Um, my dear brothers and sisters, I hope you'll thoroughly enjoyed and benefited from this podcast uh, with uh, our brother Omar. And please do look into investing into Wahid and their various products that they have. And whilst many of us, um, sadly, uh, for the wrong reasons, uh, appeal to higher percentages in returns, there's a reason for this. It's because we have become accustomed to changing our socioeconomic situation overnight in a very quick space of time. And that's not normal. It's not natural, right? So, you know, Alhamdulillah, 
Omar had the honor of attending the Wahid uh, London office opening. Yes. You know, you know, I was quite critical of Wahid, with no actual real reason to be honest as well. Just just the <laughs> fact that the, the return seemed dead at the time. Yeah. But the truth is the five to seven percent is actually you're right. That's respectable. And the twelve to thirteen is aggressive, right? And quite frankly, you would rather have dead and slow returns than something that's haram where you're gonna wage war against Allah and His Messenger. If there's anything else you want to take from that, completely, it's that that I would rather do that than that. So, my dear brothers and sisters, please remember to look into Wahid and do your research in any kind of Islamic investments that you do. Um, if you like this podcast, remember to click subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel, and of course, you can find this show on all the major audio platforms. For me and Aki, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Blood Brothers Podcast, a five-pillars production.